Let us pray as we begin our message this morning. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Articulate your heart through my voice to your people. Let the transformation of our lives be wrought thoroughly by the Holy Spirit in response to your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. For the last few weeks, we have been talking about kingdom. And today we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about one another. We're going to start a series that will last from now until right after Thanksgiving. And in it, we're going to talk about something that's pretty simple, but not simplistic. It's a pretty straightforward message. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to do life the way Jesus did. It's a pretty straightforward piece of information and kind of a straightforward mission. But one of the ways that we do that is by living into some commands that change our perspective, change our thinking. The way we lived and thought before knowing Jesus is different after we know him. There's a letter to the second Corinthians, to the Corinthians, <laughs> the second letter that we have called second Corinthians, in chapter 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And earlier in Romans, he wrote, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So one of the ways that we can do this is by following the one another commands. You should have gotten a little slip of paper when you walked in this morning next to the bulletin. And on it, it has a whole list of one another commands. It's not all of them. They wouldn't all fit. And as it is, it's pretty tiny to read all of those. But it is a reminder that there are commands for how we are to treat one another. And for a number of reasons, these are critical to understanding Jesus and living as he did. For one thing, we were created to be in community. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve needed each other. The moment that they disobeyed, the moment that they believed the serpent, is the moment when living in community with God and each other became harder than it was ever meant to be. But they started from a place of perfect community with each other and with God. God would come and walk with them in the garden in the evening. That's how good their relationship was. So we know that the ideal is for us to live in community with each other and with God. And we know that to be Christ-like, we must be in community. Jesus himself served not only with the Holy Spirit empowering him and according to the will of God, but he called the disciples and encouraged people to follow him. 
he created a community of people to follow. In Acts, the community nature of Jesus' followers is defined and fleshed out in the work of Peter and John and the disciples in Jerusalem. And then as the church spreads throughout the world, it becomes small groups and cells and clusters, not individual people, but groups, small communities. And letters begin being sent and written. And there is a recurring theme. One another, each other, all the way through. The passage that we are going to explore today was written to one of those churches that had some issues. Because once you start getting in community, even a church community, people begin to behave like people and they disagree and things come up. In fact, in this case, the church had a strong disagreement with Paul. They had decided that Paul wasn't who he claimed to be. You see, he claimed to be an apostle. He claimed to be the one who came and gave them the gospel. And that was true. But some people came after Paul and said, well, he didn't tell you the whole story. He didn't tell you all of the things. And so Paul wrote this letter to tell the people that uh, those who are opposing him are kind of wrong. And he says it in such a way that they would understand because they were trying to figure out why it was that if Paul was really an apostle, why it was that he suffered so much in his ministry. Because that was one of the reasons that these opposing people gave that Paul couldn't really be who he claimed to be. You see, Paul had gone through persecution. He had been thrown in jail. He had been beaten. There had been riots in one of the places where he was, and it caused him to have to sneak out of town in order to be kept from being killed. He had been caught by the Pharisees and beaten outside of a town. Forty lashes save one is the way they describe it, which means he was whipped almost to death. All of these things had happened, and they were saying, how is this possible? Remember last week when we talked about kingdom, we talked about the idea that people had this impression that if you were a follower, you were always in a state of getting more and being blessed. Your life didn't have suffering in it because you were following Jesus. If that was true, he shouldn't be encountering any kind of suffering at all. But Paul says, no, 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 no. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, 
so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Paul says we are grateful that we not only suffer, because that reminds us of Christ's suffering, but that we in turn are comforted, and we are able to share both what it means to suffer and what it means to be comforted. We share our burdens, our hurts, our pain, and in turn we come alongside each other to walk through it together. That's how it works to be a one another community to share both the challenges and the comfort together. There are two parts to being a one another community. First, you have to have a willingness to be there for someone else, to meet a need or walk alongside them. I read a story this week about a woman whose husband had a hernia surgery, but he also had Alzheimer's. And as he came out of recovery, the doctor said that he was going to have to restrain him because there was no way they were going to be able to keep him from pulling out his IVs. The woman was a little bit concerned about this. She did not want to see her husband in restraints. So she called her prayer group. And they made shifts and spent the entire night with the men so that he would not pull out his IVs and he didn't have to be in restraints. That's what one anothering looks like from the giving side. You show up and you're willing to give away your time, your energy, and your resources. That's almost easy in comparison to the other side of things, the receiving side. You see, as Americans, we have a tendency to believe in pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We want to be individuals who work hard for what we have. Then, man, needing to rely on someone else that's a sign of weakness in our minds. We let our own pride and self-sufficiency get in the way of our need for someone else. And let me be clear here, when we do that, we are not only depriving someone else of the opportunity to be one another to us, but we are failing to be Christ-like to someone just by asking for help. You see, we need to be willing to give, of course, but we need to be willing to receive as well. Peter and Jesus have a conversation about this at the Last Supper. When Jesus kneels down to wash Peter's feet, just like he's doing with all of the other disciples, Peter's like, nope, uh-uh, not me. You're not washing my feet. 
I'm perfectly capable of stepping into the bath and getting my own feet clean. And Jesus says, whoa, this isn't about what you can and can't do. This is about me being a servant to you and showing you what that looks like. And you can't be in my kingdom unless you are willing to receive what I have to give you. We have to be willing to let someone else help us. Imagine in the story of the woman whose husband was going to be restrained if she had not been willing to tell the prayer group of her need. She would have missed a beautiful expression of love and care because she could not allow someone else to see what hurt her most deeply. And we don't work on these things alone or merely for the sake of being better people. We do it in response to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is a must-have. The Holy Spirit must be in us in order for us to live out a Christ-like unity. We do it, we live in community. We share with one another. We receive from one another as a way for others who are not part of our community to see how we love and live and to recognize it as coming from God. That was Jesus' prayer from John 17. My prayer, this is his prayer for us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for us to be one another to each other. For us to be united. For us to be together. In a world that expects people to bicker and fight and not be there for one another. You know, Mark Zuckerberg said that Facebook is becoming church for some people. And the reason why he said that is because people are finding community online, in social media, and they are not finding community in the place where they should expect to find it easiest. In the church. In a place where we should only be about serving one another and serving our community. It should be obvious when you look at the church that it's different. Because we're willing to give and we're willing to receive from one another. 
I'm going to reiterate our opening statement that if we want to be like Jesus, we have to do life the way Jesus did. In community, not just with one another, but with the living Christ. We have to be willing not only to give ourselves away for the sake of the other, but to receive as well. And we do all of this for the sake of showing the world what it means to be united with Christ and Christians. In the weeks to come, we are going to explore specific ways in which following the command to one another is presented in Scripture. We're not going through each of the individual Scriptures, but they're kind of put together in sections. We're going to talk about encouraging one another, about praying for one another, loving one another, ministering to one another, discipling one another, being brothers and sisters to one another. And then we're going to talk about the don'ts, the opposite side of those one another's, the things that we should not be doing. Christianity is primarily about the yeses, about the things that we do do, but there are don'ts. And we're going to talk through a handful of those. We're going to take a look at these and find ways in which Jesus lived them out as an example for us. And then we will look at how one anothering can be given, but also how it can be received. One of the ways that we will receive one anothering each week is through celebrating communion together. I know that it may seem unusual to worship at the table together every week, but it is one way that we can celebrate Christ in union. It is a community reception of grace that we all need for ourselves, but that we can receive collectively. When we receive the elements, we do so in one of two ways. We do it as a celebration and confirmation of our baptism, whenever that was in our lifetime. Or we do it as a commitment to live into a life of repentance in anticipation of our baptism to come. It is a means of grace and a sacrament that reminds us to receive the body and blood of Christ as a gift of continuing transformative grace in our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand in a moment as we get ready to receive communion. If you look on the back of your bulletin, you will find the communion liturgy. We'll go through that together. And at the first moment where you respond, I'll ask you to stand. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. 
The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Please stand. In unity with the church, we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And so we pray. Holy God, we come before you in humility. We do not live as we ought. We do not love you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We do not love our neighbor as ourselves. So we pray in all humility that you will change our hearts and minds, that you will show us again how to love others the way you love us, that you will put power and courage in our hearts to do your will. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. As we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us, and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life.
This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, shed for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. I would ask you to come now. Please come with your hands cupped to receive the bride, and you may dip it in the wine, juice, and you may proceed back to your home. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you that you graciously feed us. We have duly received these holy mysteries with the <coughs> spiritual food of the body and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. By this you assure us of your favor and goodness toward us. We are incorporated into the mystical body of your Son, the blessed company of all faithful people. We are heirs through hope of your everlasting kingdom by the merits of Christ's precious death and passion. Assist us with your grace, Heavenly Father, that we may continue in that holy fellowship and walk in goodness the way you have prepared for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Please stand. And open your hands and your hearts to receive the blessing. May the presence of Christ that you have known today be with you through the rest of the week. May you always recognize the abundance of God's grace, love, and mercy in your life. 
and thankfully and joyfully spend it on those around you who need it most. May you never forget that you are loved, and because he loved you, you can love those around you. You've been to church. Now go be the church. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank <laughs> you.